weird tradition in sports that at the end of everything after you've had like a 17 game grueling season this unbelievable postseason this flashy glamorous champion crowning game that you've got Stan Kroenke picking up the trophy first Hi everyone and welcome once again to the Sports Pro Podcast. I am your host Owen Connolly. Hope you're well. Uh, we're going to be running through a few recent stories in the sports industry this time. We are very happy to welcome back a couple of regular flyers, Sports Pro Digital Editor Tom Bassam. Hello Tom. Hi Owen, how's it all going? Not too bad Tom, not too bad. How are you? Yes, very well. Thank you very much. <laughs> Glad to hear it. Hope the same can be said of Sports Pro Deputy Editor Sam Carp. Hello, Sam. Hi, Owen. Yeah, all good here. Thanks. It's nice to be back, actually. I was trying to remember the, the last time I was on, so I was kind of relieved to get the cool off again. I thought you were, thought you were leaving <laughs> me out forever. <laughs> Just uh, it must be a confusion between uh, our department and your agent, Sam. Um, <laughs> I'm notoriously hard to get hold of these days. We're always we're always happy to have you on, um, guys. We're gonna we're gonna run through a few recent stories. Just a quick note for our listeners. I mean, we um, are gonna hope to make this a bit more of a regular thing and introduce some kind of interactive and live elements to the Sports Pro podcast. We're not gonna overpromise at this point because we've just done a trial that uh, was inconclusive, but we're pretty sure we could do um, do this a little bit more formally from here on out. But um it will it will stay in its usual kind of one-way listener format for for this time but we're just going to pick up on some recent stories in the sports industry tie off a few loose ends and all the rest of it um yeah a couple of big events going on um we're going to get to the super bowl we're going to get to the winter olympics uh some big broadcast news some big things happening in sponsorship and just a couple of stories flying under the radar that uh you guys might have picked up on and might have something to say about where the sports industry is going. But um, let's start because I am sitting in California and have not seen more than about 10 seconds of it. But um, because I landed, as uh, regular listeners will know, just after the game finished. But the Super Bowl happened uh, in Los Angeles on Sunday. SoFi Stadium was the venue. Los Angeles Rams were the champions beating uh, Chris Stone's beloved Cincinnati Rams with a late touchdown uh, to take it 23 to 20 and make all of Stan Kroenke's dreams come true. Um, I believe I'm not speaking to the exclusion of too much there. Um, <laughs> but we're now beginning to see some of the media numbers come in uh, and and see kind of how a Super Bowl back in normality is has has fared for NBC. Uh, Tom, what's the what are some of the headlines? I mean, some more stuff will come out, obviously, as... as you know, more agencies report, but um, what's the big picture? Well, uh, I mean, actually, just before we came in, I saw some of the initial TV ratings figures, which suggest that the Super Bowl is back. Um, after a bit of a down year last year, mostly impacted by the pandemic. Um, yeah, there's an 8% uptick in terms of uh, in terms of numbers of viewers, at least in the US anyway. Um, I haven't seen any global figures as of yet. So that's 109. Uh, sorry, 101.9 million viewers for, for NBC. Which, uh, yeah, pretty impressive number. Um, not quite the 113 million, I think it was, that we had just pre-pandemic almost in 2020. Um, and we've also published uh, a story today on the 
on the Sports Pro site. But the yeah, the, the game drew, generated 170 million of um, brand exposure for the Super Bowls. Uh, well, not Super Bowls for the NFL's partners. So we're talking Nike, Bose, Gatorade, uh, Pepsi, although they also own Gatorade, um, and then. I guess the other kind of big number that everyone really likes to to pay attention to is the cost per 30 seconds of ads. And I believe, Sam, that this was around 7 million uh, for the uh, 30 seconds of advertising space, um, which I think, uh, based on some very poor back of a uh, back packet calculations, is about 500 million in ad revenue for NBC. So, yeah. Gordy numbers um, and something probably a little bit more familiar to the NFL after a bit of a down year last year. Yeah, I think um, you mentioned that it was like a sort of Super Bowl back in normality, but it actually felt a little bit more like a Super Bowl on steroids in the way it was. <laughs> I, I, I only lasted to about just after the halftime show. Um, not quite as diehard as our friend Tom here, who I believe stayed up till the very end. But um, you're kind of watching it and you're thinking, you know, if anywhere was built to host a Super Bowl, that it was, you know, it was LA and and SoFi Stadium in particular. Um, and as Tom was mentioning there, you had you had um, people paying as much as, well, brands paying as much as $7 million for these ad spots, which I think just illustrated the fact that everyone kind of wanted a piece of this Super Bowl. It was kind of the first the first one back with, you know, in a full stadium, first time in LA in, uh, I think it was 30 years um, so you had A-list celebrities there, mega brands involved, fans ready to pay record amounts of money to watch it at SoFi Stadium. And you had this halftime show with Dr. Dre, Snoop Dogg, uh, 50 Cent, Eminem, Mary J. Blige. It was kind of like listening. Um, it's like listening to the iPod shuffle that I, that I lost when I was like 15. Um, <laughs> and yeah, I don't know. It was just the whole, the whole pageantry of it all was kind of back with a bang. And just in a way, it almost felt like the football game was a bit of a sideshow to, to everything that was going on around it, which I, I suppose kind of has been an element of the Super Bowl for quite a long time. But I think it was sort of a reminder of, of that after kind of, as, as Tom mentioned before, a bit of a down year last year amid, amidst the pand- pandemic. Yeah, and uh, LA is still still pretty much dressed for the occasion. A couple of days on, I did see um, a fair few uh, bits of merch being worn from both teams yesterday. Um, still banners everywhere, still lots of sponsor logos and stuff. And apparently they are adapting the Hollywood sign to say Rams House for the week. Um, not seeing evidence of that yet. But the uh, it's interesting, the, the, the talk about the advertising numbers and um you know even the viewing figures uh, i mean the the advertisers get a lot of coverage around the game now um with top 10 lists and i uh, you know we're going to see colin jost and scarlett johansson's house and all this stuff um pre and post game um but i guess there is there's value for everybody to kind of keep the show rolling from the point of view of it being a set piece and it being you know everyone gathered around to, to watch stuff live whether that is the advertising or the um or the actual game itself it's kind of it's a bit of bit of tradition bit of ritual that uh, uh perhaps still carries some value even with the kind of broad all-around digital exposure that everybody's getting it's it's funny isn't it i i, I mean we don't even see the uh the super bowl ads uh in the uk but they're, they're still something that you'll see yeah, regular news outlets covering as if it's kind of news. These are the people that have advertised around the Super Bowl. These these are the 
mini films that they created and spent millions of dollars on. Something that draws in a lot of people and not really, I don't even think people even really know why um, for some of it. But yeah, I, th I think in terms of how it's performed for the NFL, I should imagine they'd be pretty happy, uh, even if it's just viral clips of 50 Cent hanging upside down. I think uh, just building on what you were saying, and it's kind of, there is almost something in it for everyone. So some people, as I was watching it, I was like, you know, some people are just literally going to be watching this to tune in for that halftime show. Um, some people in the States will just be tuning in to watch this because they're interested in the commercials as, as Tom alluded to where they, they are such a big thing. You know, people were, people were interested in how all of these crypto companies were going to be advertising during the game. And I think one of the most eye-catching ones or one of the ones which went viral on Twitter was the, was the Coinbase, Coinbase advert, which you might have seen or heard about already which was uh, essentially a floating qr code and anyone that's seen the um the us office and has seen the episode where uh the dvd logo is floating around the screen they're all kind of watching uh with intent waiting for it to kind of perfectly land in the corner of the screen it was kind of a nod to that i think and it kind of i enjoyed kind of the thought of american viewers jumping off their sofa running up to their tv screens and trying to scan it on, on their mobile and uh <laughs> yeah apparently so they've spent you know up to seven million dollars to float a qr code around a screen and apparently the the website crashed <laughs> so <laughs> so yeah but it just yeah um all of, just all of that but i think as you say and there's, there is something in it for everyone and it's this kind of all-consuming thing that really does attract a, a broad audience and uh, just kind of illustrates why why there is so much interest around it every year yeah, seven million for a QR code, and they say the crypto sector is awash with cash. Uh, <laughs> before we move on from from the Super Bowl, um, Munich confirmed as the first German host of a, a regular season NFL game um, in the last week. Obviously, came through a bidding process with a couple of other cities. What do we expect, or do we have any expectations from what that might mean for the NFL in Europe? Um, I've seen a couple of people float maybe slightly premature but maybe not speculation about a, a race between munich and london now to, to who, see who can get the first uh international super bowl i don't know whether that marries up with all the um uh the media kind of universality about it for, for american audiences that we've just talked about but any thoughts there before we push on with another story yeah i, I Interestingly, actually, there was some reports in the UK press, wasn't there, about um, Tottenham um, being on a on, on some kind of list for a Super Bowl. Uh, that is the only still remains, even with the addition of those uh, those German venues, still the only kind of properly adaptable NFL venue in in Europe. Um, clearly, really well built for it and all of that kind of thing. But I, I guess for me, it was less about the Super Bowl, more about what it means for the for the NFL's general approach to international. So a few years ago, it was uh, it was just more and more games in London. And it was three games in, well, maybe it was four games in three different venues. So you had games at um, Wembley, you had games coming up at Tottenham, and then you also had games at um, Twickenham as well. And you were getting to the point where it was almost reaching a, like a, a, tipping, a tipping number um, for the best part of a whole regular season programme for a team. So I think if you're going to be pushing uh, more games to different parts of Europe, that you may this may be the end of the idea of a, a single um, non-US franchise. Uh, that, that was kind of my takeaway of it anyway. So 
like it just makes it a lot less likely that you've got another city to add in. Um, so what they're going for really is kind of bigger showpieces in, in, in other countries, but maybe less the idea of like one permanent addition. Um, and then I guess the kind of the other side of it is the is the international marketing side too. So they announced, um, I think it was in December, uh, the uh, the list for who's who gets who gets which city in terms of where they can in terms of franchises uh, and the the marketing rights that they're going to get in those locations. Uh, Germany was very popular. The UK was very popular, but. Um, yeah, it's another part of that, isn't it? So some of the teams that have taken up those marketing rights in Germany and in the UK are going to be probably more keen to play games over here than than the ones that are taken Brazil or other locations, I guess. Yeah, that was just on that point because I think the teams that are that do have the marketing rights in Germany, the Panthers, Chiefs, Patriots, and Buccaneers, and you know, as we know from the London games, the NFL typically sends over teams from kind of smaller markets or. Um, you know, lower profile games. Um, but you'd assume those four teams would kind of want to take advantage of those marketing rights they now have and potentially play a game over there. But they're, you know, at least three of those are some of the most, the more successful sides of recent years. So it'll be interesting to see if the NFL kind of bucks that trend a little bit, um, uh, especially to kind of, you know, get it off to a really strong start. Um, and you know, make sure that those games are sold out. I'm sure that you know they've they've spent 12 years and or however long it is in London, sort of doing their market research. And I think Brett Gosper, who you spoke to in October, and described it as a as a bit of a template. So you'd assume that they've got confidence going into this market that the games are going to sell out. Um, it'll be interesting to see which which teams they do bring along for the first time. And um, also, just before we move on from the Super Bowl, um, can I just mention kind of the most weird tradition in sports that at the end of everything after you've had like a 17 game grueling season this unbelievable postseason um this flashy glamorous champion crowning game that you've got stan Kroenke picking up the trophy first like i i just really don't understand it. Like, he didn't run any routes he didn't you know securing he didn't sack anyone and he didn't make any first downs I appreciate he's the owner but i just i find it quite strange every year that it's the owner who he gets their hands on the trophy first. It's, it's a peculiar tradition. Yeah, and it's not like Stan had much to say when he got out there either. He was, he was hand, handed a trophy and yeah, offered offered some kind of mild platitudes, and then we and then we moved on. Absolutely bizarre. Yeah, completely agree with you. I mean, maybe this year slightly different because it was obviously kind of his a bit of a vindication of his decision to move the franchise. But yeah, you know, not for me. We'll see what happens if he ever gets his hand on a, on a. A Premier League trophy, as spectacularly unlikely as that is, but it is a very, uh, yeah, very peculiar one. Um, maybe something lost in translation. I don't know. Right, let's uh, let's let's move on and let's move across to Stan Kroenke's other interest. The Premier League um, has had a, a report in the last week, Tom, that it can expect ten billion pounds of uh, of overseas rights income from this cycle coming up, which would see the international um balance of its of its revenues overtake the domestic one um bit of a watershed there i guess not unexpected given the relative scale of um of the uk market and the rest of the world but a sign i guess that the premier league continuing its ambitions to be seen as the kind of the global domestic competition 
Yeah, I should probably just correct you. I think the report was that there would be it would be over ten billion pounds, that is, um, in in total revenue, but that the um, the overseas was going to nudge ahead. So I think it was like five point three to five point one. Sorry for being a stickler, but um, probably just no, no. I think that's a pretty yeah. it's a pretty significant uh, thing to correct. <laughs> um, yeah, I, it's a it's a pretty staggering achievement, really, when you think about it. Um, I mean, that we're just talking about the NFL and the NFL generates insanely high numbers of uh, insanely high revenue but it's all from domestic all from the domestic market i mean i, I don't but you don't really hear fees banded around for what sky sports or sport one in germany or whoever it is really broadcasting overseas is paying because it, it probably just it's not really comparable whereas i think some of the standout fees we've seen in in the up if the upcoming right cycle it was what um Two billion um, for NBC, a similar amount for for Nent in Scandinavia. Um, it, like those are that, that's that's crazy, and I think what it really kind of illustrates is that just the, the job that the Premier League has done um, in terms of building its brand overseas and continuing to do that. And when you're considering that, that as well, that I mean, it's it's European rivals in terms of domestic competition. So the Bundesliga. Um, Liga, um, even the Liga, like not, they, they, they've not either secured increases or they've gone slightly backwards in terms of like the, their media rights revenues yet. The juggernaut that is the Premier League continues to, continues to grow. Like it, it's odd because I don't know, the UK press, I feel like we spend quite a lot of time criticising the Premier League and maybe not appreciating, uh, not appreciating like kind of the job that they do overseas in terms of promoting it. Um, but it, it's just, it's, um, yeah, I mean, it sort of stands out as a such a massive leader in, in the industry in terms of um, how it goes about approaching that that whole side of the business. It's, it's really, really impressive. Yeah, and uh, you wonder if there's a bit of a kind of critical mass that certain properties have, have got to that make them, um, I don't want to say a safe bet, but something that big media companies are, happy to invest in in the medium term while there's that bit of um uncertainty about the value of 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 sports rights um or what bits of sports rights are valuable in in the next kind of 10 years or so the interesting thing is it comes at the same time that the uefa tenders for champions league and uh europa league and conference rights have come back um and they are sticking with team the uh, marketing machine that's kind of really uh, built itself around the proposition of selling the Champions League over the last uh, 25 years or so. Um, but it's also brought in relevant sports to help it create a, a more bespoke proposition for North America. Um, anything that you guys would would add to what we can expect there or you know, what, what shape perhaps that gives the UEFA strategy, what we might see from the Champions League in the next few years? Yeah, I just wanted to um, say, I suppose, just going back to the Premier League thing quickly before coming on to that, it kind of made you, it sort of makes it kind of obvious about why some, you know, these Barca, Real, Juve wanted this sort of Super League that we were talking about in the first place. And it also further makes you question why the English clubs were so keen to join it, given that, you know, we talk, there's typically this tendency to talk about the big five European leagues when in reality, I think this demonstrates that there's one that's way ahead of the rest. Um, yeah, so going into this sort of, it sort of does feed into this whole new relationship that UEFA has with team and relevant, obviously part of that 
joint venture with the clubs um, or through the ECA who you know sort of want more control over the over the sale of media and sponsorship rights and it's kind of I know it's kind of funny in a way that UEFA has ultimately ended up pretty much back where it started albeit with um, relevant on board on this occasion um, I think what's kind of interesting about it the sort of the line being towed the party line being towed and sort of the stuff that Nasser Al-Khalifi has been talking about is that you know, the massive revenue increases that's going to bring. So I think the projections that it's going to reach around $5 billion per season. Um, no, per, yeah, $5 billion, $5 billion per season, sorry, and $15 billion for the cycle. Um, the thing about that is, is that kind of, if the format change that they've been talking about to the Champions League go through, then teams are going to be kind of playing more games anyway. Um, so there's going to be more inventory to sell. So you kind of would have expected the, the price of those commercial rights to go up in any case. Um, and then the other thing I'd say is that, you know, those things are, those things are just a projection. Um, the only thing that UEFA is guaranteed at the moment is that money from relevant, which will be kind of confident that it can take advantage of the same market conditions that I suppose the Premier League did and that you have quite a few platforms in the US now kind of jostling for soccer rights. So you obviously have CBS with Paramount Plus, um, NBC and Peacock, um, ESPN Plus as well has got quite a lot of soccer rights. So they'll be quite confident that they can deliver on that promise to increase the revenue from the UEFA Champions League rights by 100 million. But so I guess the real test is going to be to see whether team can deliver that projection that UEFA is after. Um, and I think that would be kind of, it would be a sort of interesting test of the agency model in that sense as well, because I think it was, it was quite peculiar in that UEFA only went out with a, with these rights over a three-year tender, which felt kind of short-term for something so significant and so all-encompassing, it kind of gives you the impression that there is a chance that, you know, for that next cycle, they will maybe look to reassess the way that they do things, um, you know, should should this relationship with team not necessarily breed as much revenue as they're expecting it to. Yeah, and as I understand it, team are going to stay on similar terms to what they were, so they're going to be on a, a kind of commission basis and relevant have upfronted some of the uh, or guaranteed some of the uh revenue um that they will expect to deliver so slightly different risk profiles i guess for those two organizations i suppose the, the format change that you talk about sam there's a degree of extra certainty to it you're going to see some more of some of the big teams there's a couple of they aren't called legacy places but they're heavily uh heavily insured coefficients for for certain big teams so we We'll expect to see them more and more often, but yeah, it will be um, it will be worth watching to see how all of that evolves. Um, okay, Tom, did you have anything to add? Sorry, just on the kind of the relevant side of it. I mean, I was just reading before before I came into into this recording about the, the new partnership with Socios, and it's the first time I think I've seen it. Sam, maybe correct me if I'm wrong, but um, that so an element of that is a regional sponsorship just for the US market. Um, that, and that will carve out certain rights just for just for just for US broadcast. So that's kind of uh, perimeter advertising, other bits of in, other bits of in, like digital inventory and stuff like that. So perhaps it's um, yeah, perhaps it was coming from the idea of that like, well, look, we can already get these deals in place uh, and bring in new partners. And so she also are that for at least for UEFA club competitions. Um, maybe the the US will become that that real growth sector that UEFA is looking for. I mean, we've previously seen reports of maybe hosting a Champions League final there and 
it's kind of that similar conversations we were having about the NFL, but it's this that's the that's the way that I think that the ECA and UEFA think that they can grow this competition is is by making it the the kind of the global uh, making it a global competition just played by European teams. Mm, and we we were hearing stories. I mean, just on that point of you know a, a final in the US, we were hearing stories. Before the Super League broke, breakaway uh, was made manifest fleetingly um, about a switch in scheduling priorities for fixtures with the Champions League move to the weekends as they had more flexibility for um, uh, more flexibility for scheduling through the day and could hit some of those other more markets a little more comfortably. Um, so I do wonder, will, will UEFA try in the, in the next few years to get a bit more confidence back and uh, and, and take it back to the leagues with, with some of these proposals if they can show that they can guarantee those revenues. Um, Sam? Yeah, no, sorry, I was going to also say that it's interesting relevance involvement because it was literally, I was trawling back through our website and literally kind of the week before COVID sort of properly took hold, there was a story linking them with UA forever revamping the International Champions Cup, which is obviously what they're kind of best known for. So there is kind of the foundations of a relationship there already and that kind of revamp the idea was that international champions cup revamp potentially could have challenged this new club world cup that is proving fairly elusive for fifa because of what's happened in the past couple of years so kind of you know interesting sort of dynamics there in the role that relevant sort of playing in the in the ongoing power struggle between those two organizations as well absolutely okay um let's keep an eye on if digital broadcasting and uh digital media streaming all that kind of New media sector is your thing, then final reminder or late reminder from us anyway um, about the Sports Pro OTT Summit USA, which is going to be happening at City Field in New York on the 8th and 9th of March. Um, worth checking out. Sportspro-OTTUSA.com for all the details to get your pass. Not that long now. Um, moving on, guys, and we'll pick up a bit of speed now and, and, and cover a few more stories in the last kind of 10 minutes or so. Um, the... Winter Olympics numbers have come out, kind of mid-event numbers, and um, in the US especially, it's it's been uh, a bit of a challenging sell, I guess, which is not that surprising. There's it's come off the back of summer games, and of course, as we covered extensively on the pod a couple of weeks ago, there's been obviously a lot of concern about the the host, and and uh, the, it's been overshadowed a bit by rouse about the um, activities of the of the Chinese state. Sam, what what do we what do we make of how that's all unfolded? You know, the the other thing is we've had a cast ruling about um, the fifteen year. I mean, it's an extraordinary and, and unsettling story, but the fifteen year old figure skater Camilla Valieva um, and her doping test. Um, I suppose nothing that unexpected in in how the the Winter Olympics story has has unfolded from where we were at the the start of the month. Yeah, it's weird, isn't it? I think I've regularly told about the Olympics that, you know, once they start, um, all of that sort of surrounding conversation about them sort of goes away. But that definitely doesn't feel like it's been the case at all um, in this situation. Um, you know, if people haven't been talking about human rights, they've been talking about uh, doping, um, as we've seen. And you know, the, as you said, uh, let's let's not forget that Russia technically, you know, Russia technically aren't at these games, are they? 
because of um, <laughs> because of that ban from the arsenal for their previous doping scandal and, and failure to comply with the global anti-doping code. And yet, you know, there's still more than 200 Russian athletes out there competing. Um, so as you say, there's not really much shock, much to be shocked about that they are at the heart of another doping scandal. But as you say, the, the shocking, shocking thing about it is that it's a 15-year-old at the heart of a doping scandal. Um, so you kind of have to be asking questions about the people who are influencing someone as young as that to be taking an illegal substance. You have to be asking questions of her trainer, the Russian team, etc. cetera. Um, and it sort of raises a bit of a broader issue as well, um, which was sort of highlighted at Tokyo um, when Simone Biles pulled out of gymnastics that athletes aren't just sort of these machines. And you know, in, in Balieva's case, I think, Obviously, she has done wrong, but she almost feels as if she's sort of a pawn in the sort of wider political game. You know, the end products might be this, you know, wonderful, perfect ice skating routine, but the murky things that have gone in the background and the journey that's got there can really be quite sinister at times. So, yeah, I think that has just kind of fed into the sort of sour taste around around this Olympics. And as you say, it is sort of being reflected by some of the numbers Um I think some of the reporting has been that NBC is on course for a record low in terms of its ratings, um, which you know could be down to a number of factors. It could be around down to, you know, as you say, sort of the human the human rights issues and the build up to the event. Um, could also be down to the fact that this is the second Olympics taking place in what about six seven months. Um, also, the fact that it's not really a completely normal Olympics. There's you know there's not many spectators, which um, you know. TV executives have spoken about kind of dilutes the the enjoyment of the viewing experience. Um, but I suppose on the other side of that, both uh, NBC and Discovery in Europe have touted the fact that, you know, while obviously linear numbers are down, streaming numbers are up, which isn't a surprise given that, you know, more people are streaming than they were in 2018. But at the same time, they might be viewing it as, you know, while we might not be getting the same high viewership numbers on TV, as long as we're kind of, as long as these, this event is sort of doing its job in terms of driving subscribers to those new streaming products that they have, whether it's Peacock, whether it's Discovery Plus, then, you know, maybe that's how they're going to view these games as a success in that sense. Yeah, absolutely. And I think as, as a, we alluded to a few weeks ago, there will probably be a bit of a reset for the games after, after, or for the Olympic movement after these games, uh, heading into Paris and, Milan and Los Angeles, um, yeah, it, you know the on the Valieva story. It just it, it suggests again a, a culture because of, you know a fifteen year old is is not making those decisions, um, and it also you know it comes back to that thing of what can you trust? Because I think a lot of people very much enjoyed her early performances in these games, and it's um, uh, it, it's what yeah the Olympics are meant to be about um but unfortunately that has been tarnished to a, a pretty significant degree um i guess the other thing is um yeah you talked about the, the difficulty that simon Biles has had i think we've seen a few high profile olympians struggle a little bit with uh, uh their performances in in these games and a post pandemic a properly post pandemic olympics will, will also be a thing to see um you know once we get out of these uh these bubble conditions um, the closed loop that is in, active, in action uh, in Beijing. Um, okay, I'm, I'm sure we will also revisit the the games again in, in due course, but let's uh, wrap up with just some 
some other stories that have maybe flown under the radar or maybe are worthy of, of note here uh, can have some significance going forward. I mean, Sam, obviously you are the author of the Sponsorship and Marketing Newsletter for Sports Pro. Uh, a few pretty big deals in the last week or so. Yeah, definitely. Um, suggests that the sponsorship industry is very healthy. Uh, the amount of money that's being poured into it, you know, it's, it's showing so kind of further signs of recovery post COVID. I suppose um, one of the one that hasn't yet been confirmed, I should say, um, is that uh, Barcelona's deal with Spotify um, rumored to be worth around two hundred eighty million euros. I believe um, that's kind of the reported figure. Um, and yeah, that deal covers, you know, more than just the shirt, which Racket, the, their previous sponsor Rakuten had, it's, um, reportedly includes stadium naming rights as well. Also covers the women's team. Um, and it's also reportedly one of the contributing factors to the resignation of their CEO who <laughs> announced his departure last week. Um, and I think it kind of, I don't know, the deal sort of <laughs> encapsulates a bit of, you know, how Barcelona have transformed to this transformed from this kind of institution that was you know known for being really in touch with its members used to have unicef as it's had unicef as its first shirt sponsor um and now it's just become you know extremely political um joan laporta the 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 current president uh it's kind of like a popularity contest in a way isn't it the way he kind of drives that organization and i think you know with revita leaving last week um the reports were that kind of the terms of this Spotify deal were kind of um, revised without him, you know, sort of under his nose. So I think that's, it just sort of shows, you know, <laughs> it tells you a little bit about who's in charge there. Um, but yeah, it's an interesting deal. Um, let's see what happens, especially because, you know, Spotify themselves are going through, going through some issues of their own at the moment. Well, this is just it, isn't it? Barcelona have uh, seemingly waited for Spotify's, um, public sentiment to register at the absolute optimum for them to close in on a deal. Um, I think Barcelona is possibly a, a podcast in itself uh, one of these days. Yeah, uh, very soon. But um, Oracle also uh, signing off on a five hundred million pound reportedly deal. To we're, we're not sure about that number, but <laughs> but uh, but a, a big deal anyway to um, uh, to take over the title sponsorship of Red Bull. Yeah, I understand that's worth three hundred million dollars. That's my understanding, anyway. But um, the yeah, it's interesting that one actually, because um, obviously, yeah, you got the branding elements of it, the title sponsorship. Um, but I thought it was quite interesting. Christian Hor- Christian Horner spoke a lot about how important that that kind of relationship has been to them, especially amidst kind of Formula One's new spending caps. Uh, just kind of the competitive advantage that's been able to give them, you know. Um, using Oracle's cloud infrastructure and the the data that it generates for them and allows them to make quicker decisions. You know, in a sport like Formula One, um, having access to that kind of stuff is something that makes a difference. It allows them to keep costs down a little bit as well. Um, so, yeah, it was kind of, it was a found that one a little bit more interesting just because you know it wasn't kind of your run of the mill sponsorship deal. It's kind of one where there is this kind of unique collaboration within it where it's actually properly contributing to to what's happening, kind of in the sporting arena side of it as well. Well, it's a performance element and as Formula One moves into this era of, well, has moved into this era of kind of uh, more digital media touch points with fans. There's also a, a bit of a, a marketing infrastructure 
element too. So, yeah, another one to, to keep an eye on and one maybe we'll hear a bit more about in due course. Um, Tom, you have spotted a couple of uh, quite different media stories, but given that, you know, young people are our future, they're very much focused on them and, and probably give us quite a nice exit from this podcast. Yeah, maybe a little bit more... Uh more sort of light-hearted than Spotify's troubles with Joe Rogan. Um, yeah, uh, yeah. it's just a couple of deals that kept kind of come through from the US in the last couple of days. Uh, I mean, when when the NFL and um, Viacom first said they were going to do a nickified uh, wildcard game, we, we sort of could have guessed really that the, the, this is the direction in which it was going. Um but it's, it's still interesting nonetheless. So, uh, yeah, Viacom now said that they're going to create their own golf tournament, um, sort of celebrity, uh, yeah, a bit of a program kind of style thing featuring but some pretty impressive names. So Lexi Thompson, really big LPGA Tour star, John Rahm, arguably the best um, arguably the best golfer in the world at the moment, and Colin Morikawa, who pretty decent with irons in his hands too. But, yeah, to kind of... Rather than being a live thing, I think this is going to be uh, more more produced. It's filmed over a couple of filmed over a couple of locations. One of them being the Rose Bowl Stadium in California. Uh, but yeah, golf, um, golf for kids. I mean, I, I can't think I was very conscious of golf until I was maybe fifteen or sixteen. Like it was always something that my nan watched. Um, it's it's definitely something that has always kind of had an appeal for for older people as opposed to being a younger person's sport especially when it comes to kids um yeah i i remember being i remember being at a sports pro live and keith pelly talking about how golf should actually be proud of the fact that it's got such a uh that it kind of owns that older demographic and it should really, really double down on that well this kind of goes in a completely different direction and opens up um it opens up different possibilities for for that it's also interesting bit being that viacom cbs has the rights to has some rights to the PGA Tour in the US. So if they if they if that was a kind of avenue that they wanted to go down and the PGA Tour were interested in it, then maybe we might see some more uh, more elements there too. Um, but then this was doubled up. So today we heard that uh, yeah, Cartoon Network, which is uh, in the Warner Media family, is going to be doing something around the uh, the NBA slam dunk uh, competition. Um, so tying in their Turner Sports on with uh with their yeah their own kids network so i think it's just a, an interesting trend to keep an eye on from that um youth focused really really trying to come under the, like go for those next generation um fans i don't i don't even know which generation they are <laughs> i think it's gen alpha but i think the, the some of the nick audience might even come into whatever the next one is later i don't know um but yeah that is a that is an interesting one i mean i've, I've heard um the Variety report, I think, said that the team behind the match as well, uh, the very much older focused golf tournament, um, is is involved here on the production side, and, and perhaps that suggests, you know, that golf is is a sport that you can play around with formats a little bit and play around with presentation, and obviously all the players being uh, mostly having some control over their their time and where they play uh, can get involved too and, and boost their own profiles, and um, yeah, smaller. Smaller remit, smaller horizons, I think, than than that initial NFL uh, playoff game. But one of the things that came out of the reviews for that was that editorially they they got it pretty well on. 
um, in terms of introducing some of the rules and some of the kind of feeling of playing in an NFL game. And they, they did a reasonable job of that. And golf being the slightly arcane complex sport that it can be um, to, to non-believers. Um, yeah, we'll see how they get on with that. Um, right, guys, I think we have spoken enough for this edition of the Sports Pro Podcast. Um, but yeah, let's do this again, I think, uh, on a more regular basis. We'll, we'll have some more details of, of how we manage that in the future. But as I said at the top of the program, we're going to try and introduce some live and interactive elements in due course. Um, if there's anything you want to hear about on the Sports Pro Podcast, uh, you can get in touch directly via podcast at sportspromedia.com. Uh, and you can also get involved on social media using the hashtag SportsProPod. But we'll leave it there for now. Um, and I will say thank you to Tom Bassam. Thank you very much for having me, Owen. And thank you to Sam Karp. Cheers, Owen. Nice to be back. Enjoy the rest of your trip. Thanks very much. Pleasure to see you both and uh, speak to you again soon. The Sports Pro podcast is published by Sports Pro Media. And the producer is Jack Darcy. Thanks to all of you for listening. Bye-bye.